Welcome to the Main Deck Podcast. If you like games like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Super, Digimon, Flesh and Blood, and many, many more, you're in the right place. For all of our TCG news and content and links to all of our socials, visit www.maindeck.games. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Main Deck Podcast. This is the podcast for and by trading card game fanatics. I'm your host, Dan Green. Today, I am joined by Jordan. How's it going, Jordan? It's going fantastic now. Thank you for asking. I am so glad to have you back once again. I there's We got a lot to talk about here. Before we get to the banter, though, of course, I do want to mention that on the Main Deck Podcast, we always have a main topic. And uh, before that, we have our little banter, get our little chatting out of the way, talk about card games. The main topic for this episode, um, this one that just came to me the other day, and I thought it was a great idea. Uh, this one is... Is life decking a sin? It's a question rather than a topic. I guess we don't normally don't normally phrase it as a question, but we decided to this time um, because this is specifically going to be a reference to a series of very very popular and very interesting TCG videos by the creator Kodak on YouTube. So there's going to be a link in the description down below if you want to prepare yourself for that conversation. If you haven't seen it before, posted a few years ago. A lot of people have seen it. Um, Go down, click on Kodak's video in the description down there, watch through that, and then swing on back to the podcast and let's all talk about it together. I just thought it'd be an interesting topic for today. So before we get there though, Jordan, yeah. it has been, if people have been following the Main Deck Podcast, Main Deck Podcast, they know about Jordan's trials and tribulations, having uh, moved to a place with like no TCG scene whatsoever. And you are now on your way back to the world of trading card games. Why don't you tell everyone what's going on? What's going on in Jordan's life? I am. So uh, I've been kind of just jumping right in the deep end again, so much so that I haven't had time to even purchase any Heroes Clash or League of Villains set cards for the MHA Universe's TCG. Um, I've just been playing in the, the local tournaments with set two decks that are highly refined that I played at Gen Con. Um, and they've surprisingly, uh, I mean, I, I kind of expected as much because I know Jasco does really well with not doing a ton of power creep. They make their cards relevant. Um, shout out to, to Jasco being great um, for the most part anyway. <laughs> they, they're not the best, but uh, Ooh, the heat. my set two decks uh, are still performing very strongly against card, you know, decks that have set one, two, three, and four with not a whole lot of change. Uh, my Shigaraki deck went undefeated on the locals against set three and four decks. My Eraserhead deck did quite well. I got third yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um, and then last Friday, I don't know what I got because I had to dip out for the Grand Archive event. Um, so I've also been doing a bunch of Grand Archive stuff because the release is coming up. I actually have cards to play. I have people to play them with um, yes. around my local area. I've been showing my friends and they've been digging it. So uh, I'm talking to a couple different card shops, gauging their interest, letting them know it's coming, letting them know that if they need help, I'm available to help judge or do demo days, stuff like that, just to get things rolling. And at least one of the shops seems very interested. The other one does seem interested, but they're a little bit more. Um, they're they're one of those shops that just has a ton going on, and they're very established. They also have a big board game side, and they have a very like premium game room. So it's like they're they're a little bit more hesitant to be like, oh, this card game from a company we've never heard of, and a game that just came out and is Kickstarter backed. They're like, we'll look into it. Yeah. But 
a couple of the dudes like watched us doing the demo and they seem more intrigued, but um, I'm more uh, thinking the other shop is going to get into it. Um, they, they seem a lot more excited about it. So hopefully oh, I'll have man. a shop to play locals in. You, uh, you have cargo. <laughs> given me so many, there's so many like things I want to talk about in that <laughs> blurb, the like two minute blurb there. Um, okay. First of all, I want to, I want to step back. We're going to step back to the beginning. So Jasco, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think your story is fascinating because if anyone out there is not a, my hero player, if you're a player of literally any other trading card game in the world, Hearing the phrase, yeah, I just played with my deck from two sets ago and I went undefeated at the tournament. That's like, I think, I think you're underselling. That's unprecedented, like almost. <laughs> I mean, there's some where it's like some games where it's like, well, yeah, you were playing the broken stuff before they banned it, but that's not the case here, right? It's yeah. like, it's, you're just playing, you're playing decks that were like, well, Shigaraki was a, was a rogue deck to, you know, two sets ago. And specifically in the later sets, specifically in set four, actually, no, I can point to several cards in three and four that are like slam dunk Shigaraki cards that should 100% improve oh, yeah. that deck. I, I've, I've already made the adjustments on UVS. I just need to actually acquire the cards for both my Shigaraki and the Eraserhead deck. There's so many really nice pieces that are just like, this does everything I want it to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Going in. So I, I do think it's actually, it's a, t it's a testament to either one of two things. Option A Jasco is extremely good at not power creeping. I, and I, I was going to say balance, but balance is not always the strong suit. Yeah. Um, as, we're, as we're posting this, there were reveals for set five today, and there's already questions in the air, <laughs> which is fair. Um, yeah, uh, hashtag overhaul is busted, but we'll see. We'll see when it's it, uh, an overhaul. Ooh, I like that. That's really good. But um, I'll reserve judgment only because there also is a world where there's a bunch because he's a starter deck card. So there's a world where his antithesis deck, because they always build their starter decks to be like versing each other. Yeah. Maybe they're just going to print a bunch of cards that just dismantle what Mount, like, uh, I always call it Mountain, what Earth Mount tries Earth. to do to the point where Earth and Overhaul's abilities aren't going to be outright crazy because there'll be a bunch of punishments for like, maybe it's like if your opponent builds a card, they discard two cards, you know, something. Okay. Insane, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds about this. I'm going to say the yeah. other start, the other deck is Lemillion, who we also saw, and who looks like he would get bodied by Overhaul based on my guess. He he changes zones and Overhaul's like special. His coolest ability is I can just play whatever I want from my foundations. So you'll like always have the block zone you need. So I yeah, yeah I don't. Okay. Anyway, um. So yeah, back up the other the other potential scenario to explain how you just dunked on a bunch of people with a set two deck is that uh universes is a game that rewards skill and I, this i'm not this isn't even a question this is i think just a thing that's true it's a game that re rewards skill disproportionately um compared to some other games on the market uh it's a very by that i mean it's a very skill intensive game and the players who are better perform regularly better with ex like extreme regularity there's and it's and it's kind of crazy given how many just like random things in this game you're you're gonna check cards off the top of your deck to get resource values and and uh you're gonna just like you draw a million cards and and your opponent can just like draw nothing you can draw everything like you know this this happens all the time but yeah the complex um, web of play lines adds a lot to the player piloting i mean like you said the the easiest way to test a bit to that is all the champion cards of like the same like four people 
yeah. <laughs> who won That's... world championships. It's like, huh. From my YouTube short. Five years. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. I tried to make a joke about that in my YouTube short. And and uh, I yeah, I, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's that's I think just a really cool thing to to be able to point out to in, in that game. Just being able to again, we talked about this plenty in the um, the end of year podcast on universes, which is just that like Jasco has a lot of really good intentions and they and they make a lot of really good. They have a lot of really good ideas. Their follow through isn't always 100% there and they usually need to iterate on things a little bit to get it right. And unfortunately, that earns them a fair amount of um, sometimes very undeserved ill will, I think, because like they you, you talk to these guys like they really are trying. They go out of your way to the other day. Um, Tim Free, who's the who's the head of rules and everything in the game, uh, went out of his way, helping me with like uh, an issue we were having during one of our main deck leagues. Um, and like took time out of his day to like respond to me personally on discord and asking some questions and stuff. Like it was awesome. It was like, like there's, this is not a bunch of just like random people, you know, like there, there are some card games. I'm just not this one. I'm not going to name names. There's some card games where it's like you, if you wanted to ever talk to anybody, no, I will like magic, like good luck ever talking to like Mark Rosewater about anything or something like, you know, it's like, you're never going to get a straight answer. And then some of the decisions they make certainly, certainly deserve plenty of criticism, (laughs) you know? But um, it's, yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate that given some of the, it's like some of the mistakes they make overshadow some of the things that I think are like really deserving of mm-hmm. of praise, you know, that that I think they're just not always getting all the time. One, I think that's a great point is like, we can just point out and say like, yeah, are all the sets evenly balanced as, as like their own power level? No, I think set two is like underpowered in general compared to, to um, sets one, certainly. And I think sets three and four. I think three's ultra rares are like pretty good in general. Four's got a, a number of decent ones. Characters are hit and miss. It seems like some are underbaked, some are some are <laughs> certainly overtuned, <laughs> overhauled. Um, but on the whole, it's like the power creep. It's like a different factor, you know. The power creep doesn't really seem to be going nearly the speed of some other games. Um, yeah, I'm I really think that's partially because baked into the design because every card does in, in, in universes specifically like has so many facets and knobs to it that it's like they can afford to, for example, make a card that just has a bonkers normally overpowered effect. And then to balance it, they're just like, oh, well, it's block is non-existent. You're, you know, plus five mid block that you're never going to need. And it's check is one. And then you're like, oh, this card is OP, but you run great risks by using it. I guess it's, I guess it's the law of large numbers, right? I'm going to present, I'm going to present a hypothetical scenario. Okay. This is a card game. Well, actually this is, I'm, this is, let's say this is a card game where all you do is you draw cards and then you play them. There's no resource system. I, it's Yu-Gi-Oh basically. No, that's not true. But you, you know, you just rip a card off your top. It's like war, right? And you play it right in, in that game. Every time you, play a card, let's say, instead of having something written on it, it was just, it was randomly a generated stat. You're going to have some cards that are just like, okay, this one does 20 damage. And then another one's like, this does one damage or something, right? And Mm -hmm. there's a huge disparity in the power level of cards. Whereas in universes, there are 600 different things on the card that check value, the the, um, difficulty value, the attack or the damage, the speed, the block modifier, the block zone, the attack zone, the effect, like there's all this stuff. If instead you just rolled a random number for all of those, most cards 
would probably come out fairly balanced. <laughs> you know, yeah. it would be like, okay, well, this is a this is a six check or this is a twenty check. This is crazy, yeah, but it's like a, a twenty block. You <laughs> know, it's like okay, like congrats. The difference between a twenty check and a six check is like almost meaningless most of the time, anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So like maybe that you know that's it. It's like it, I guess what I'm trying to say is even if the designers of universes were just straight like rolling d20s for every single card to like determine which maybe occasionally feels like that's something that is like in their system like okay one card per set we're just going to roll some dice and that's going to be the values on this card it's like why is this a four block there's no reason this isn't even very good but you know even in that circumstance it still would probably come out overall like a fairly balanced card set because of just how many there are, right? Law of large numbers. So Yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> Someone's going to prove me wrong. Pop, pop in the comments if you're <laughs> like the math whiz who's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Okay, that's fine. It was, just, it was a joke, okay? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. The other thing I wanted to talk about, bouncing off of what you were saying, because this is huge. I've been seeing this a ton lately in the Grand Archive space specifically, um, but what you are doing right now is something that I would love for more people to be able to hear about. I've been thinking about just doing a video about this idea in general, but the I'm, I I just moved here, or you can live here all your life, new whatever, it doesn't matter. A game's coming out. You want to see it. You want to play it, right? You got to do that. You got to do the thing you're doing. You got to go to the shops. You got to talk to them be like, hey, I like this game. Are you going to have this game? Sometimes they're going to say no. That, that's just, here's, here's the thing I've worked, I have, I worked, I spent about a decade working in a local game store and I've been helping out a multiple local, local game stores in our area since then with all sorts of stuff. Okay. So like I've, I've seen the inner workings back there. I know what's going on. I know what they're thinking. I talk to these owners all the time about just like, you know, what's good. What's, what's mm-hmm. not, what are they doing? And you get the stores that are just like the one you said, where it's like, they're a big store. They are an old store. They are deeply involved in certain, they've like, basically, you got to keep this in mind, right? The store has found what works for them, you know? And they're like, yeah, we sell magic, Pokemon, board games, comics, like whatever, like that. And that's it. And it's not like this is their first rodeo in with a new card game, right? Like if the store is old, think about this. Think about the graveyard of card games behind <laughs> the shop. Right? Like they've run so many different card games over the years. And they know that for most cases, there's some, there's some shops that are like golden geese and like, they're like, yeah, we'll host whatever. Like it's all good. And they make it work and that's awesome. But you just can't like, that's a privilege that some shops have. Right. And not always the case. And what I've been hearing a lot with Grand Archive is is just like, yeah, none of my shops want to carry it. And it's like, like you said, Jordan, this is like a new card game. It's not even out yet. It was funded on Kickstarter. The company is named Weebs of the Shore. It like it's just straight up, yeah. like you know, it's yeah, like it, I've noticed some some shops like I'll tell them that, and there's one or two reactions. They either find it like funnily clever, and they're like, "Oh, that we get it. That's kind of funny," or it rubs them the wrong way because they're like, "Really? They named their company after a joke about a card game company? Is that yeah. like that's not a serious company to us now?" That was, that was my first reaction. I was the latter reaction immediately. I was like, I love everything I'm looking at except two things, the name and the NFTs. They nixed the NFTs, which is awesome. The, and, but I, they were like, nope, we're sticking with the name. I'm like, all right, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Fair enough then. Um, but see, it's, it's a first impressions thing, right? And yeah. a lot of these, these stores that are just really entrenched and, and, 
when you think about it from their perspective, mm-hmm. they are, they have, you got to think from a shop owner's perspective, right? They have, yeah. they have X amount of dollars. I don't at all for their choices. Cause I, I get it. Like if someone else came to you and was like, Hey, here's the thing you never heard about. Do you want to invest a couple thousand dollars in it? Or we, we promise it'll make you money. And yeah. you're like, uh, this is an MLM. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but but I know we've got listeners. I know we've got listeners out there who who maybe haven't just thought in this perspective. So just for the sake of it, it's like mm-hmm. they these shops are bringing in so much money. If you, by the way, if you think owning a card game shop is a pathway to the the rich and famous, it's not. <laughs> it's not. They've got X amount of of money basically they can spend uh, to buy goods, right? To to sell in their shop. So you're asking them, you're not just asking them, Hey, do you want to order this in? And then, you know, I can play it here. That'd be awesome. And it's like, sure. Yeah. Just order it. You're asking them, do you want to take out some of that money you were going to spend on the latest thing that you know is going to sell well and put it on this thing that is a completely random new thing you've never heard of that was on Kickstarter with a company name that might rub you the wrong that, way. Like it's an original IP, which is harder to sell than things with IPs because uh, I was actually explaining that to my wife the other day because she has tried Grand Archive a couple times and she's willing to give it another shot. But she, her term was, the game just feels so hodgepodge. And I think I found out why and I was talking to her the other day about it. The reason why it seems like it's so hodgepodge, just like a bunch of stuff thrown together, is because the IP is not recognizable. There is a story to Grand Archive and the characters mm. in the world, but no one knows it. So going into the game, you're just like, what the hell is this person? Why is this dude here? Why is this wolf by my side? Like... What is happening? But if it were, for example, like MHA, you already know the characters. So just seeing them on the art, you don't have to think about why they're there. You already know. So it's like it feels connected. But since it's an original IP, I feel like that's one of the reasons that original IPs struggle to like gain a, a hold is because no one knows what the story is. No one cares. They're like, I want this game to be cool. And they're looking at the cards being like, I don't get how these things are related, but I'll play them, I guess. Yeah, but that's that, that is probably a strong theming thing that uh, catches people as well. Well, that's why that's why you get games like One Piece and Digimon that just mm-hmm. bo- like it didn't matter. It do- it didn't matter. What It'll the game already was make like. money just based off of those names being on the cards. <laughs> because you you again you got to put yourself in the perspective of the shop owner, right? And they're they're when they're looking to order this in, you come and you tell them, "Hey, do you want to order the new Digimon game?" There's a they're much more likely to go. Well, you know what? I'm sure I can flip that. Right. Like, I'm sure I'll be able to sell that. Whereas if you, you know, tell them do you want to order the new game. It's called it's called Graveyard Shenanigans. It's a completely new card game that has never been heard of before. And I don't know why that was the name. That's a really weird name for a game. <laughs> um, but whatever, you know, they're just going to be like, uh, like, who actually wants Graveyard Shenanigans? Is it my going to am I going to sell that at all? Is that like going to appeal to anybody? They don't know. Right. So, yeah, the point is. Here's here's the here's the truth. Okay, this is the unfortunate truth about smaller card games. The here's the first of all, I, hold on, I'm gonna sandwich this. I love smaller card games. Okay, right? I they're 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 my favorite to play. I love them for a ton of reasons. I've talked about this before, um, but they have smaller, tight knit communities. They have intriguing, interesting game concepts. They are easier to do well at and and become someone if that's a goal you have. It's it's easier to do that in a smaller card game space. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of things to enjoy about a smaller card game. One thing that is a problem is that you do have to find a community for it. And if you can't find the community, you do have to make it. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to at least you, have, you, you can either be the one who just 
goes to the shop, says, I will do everything for you. I will create the community. I will, you know, I will get it going. I will, I will we'll get some advertisements. I'll do demo days. I'll do like whatever you need. Or if, and I understand that's not for everybody, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's a, that is in itself a privileged position to have the sort of, um, the time, the, and the, time the, 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 sometimes patience. the money, the patience, the temperament, just like the, the personality. Yeah, there'll be days right? where you go in to demo and you'll demo maybe one person and you'll sit there for three hours just like nice like be like hey you guys want to try that no okay yep yep there'll be days of that and then there'll be days where you're like i don't have enough hands to demo for all these people and it's like straight up it's like no shame at all like there are people everyone's different everyone's got a different personality a different different set of capabilities right and it's like if you're the kind of person, so I'm not, the thing I always try to avoid in this conversation is just telling someone, well, you know what, if you want to play it, you got to go start it because like, that's daunting for people. It's like, it's unfortunately mm-hmm. like kind of true, but is not all, it's not hundred percent true. Right. Because the other thing, the other side of this is if you can't do that, if you can't be the one to just like become the pillar of the community, then the other thing you have to do is just start with you and a friend. That's it. You just got to find one other person, one other yeah. person who you trust, who you can talk to be like, Hey, I really want to play this with you. Do you want to try playing with me? Get someone who's a TCG fan or who could become one to try the game out. And then all you have to do, this is, this is the, this is the pro tip, the life hack to get this working is you, you find the shop in your local area and they're, sometimes they're not going to do this because in my opinion, that's not a very good shop owner who won't do this for you. You just got to find the shop who will, who will order you in product. You have to buy it through them. You don't stop going online. Stop it. They're going to charge you a little more probably. Okay. It'll be like five, maybe $10 more a box. Most of the time, unless, unless they're a bad card game shop, but yeah, most of the time, if if they're not the type that are like scalping their customers, it'll be a pretty reasonable, you know, it'll be like, like Ben said, it'll be a little bit more expensive, but not too much more expensive. You have to order through them. And the reason you have to do that is you have to, sh- you have to make this make money for them somehow, right? You, like you have to, you have to get them to go, okay, I put in X dollars. I got X plus Y dollars back off of this thing. And often it's the case where if they have a few orders through them directly, direct orders like that, they will grab a, a box or two for the shelf. They grab a yeah. set of starters like for the shelf or something. Yep. And just, to, just to try it. Cause they're like, well, False fails, these guys might come back and buy it. Yeah, exactly. And if you can, that's step one. You just have to, you have to go, you have to, it's like a, it's like a show of good faith, right? You have to, you have to put the earnest money on the table. You have to, I, let's go, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some product from you. And then the shop, I think, I think it's unfortunate that a lot of players feel like this sort of entitlement that the shop is just going to handle everything. It's like, well, why, my shop's bad. They won't even order this crazy new game in for me. It's like, well, did you, did you pay them to order anything <laughs> or did you just ask them, Hey, are you going to stock it? And then leave when they said no, because like that, yeah, there's a like, difference there. Yeah. And especially if you're the, the shop owner too, because even if you know how many people come in and be like, Oh yeah, I'm totally going to buy that. They never come back and buy it or they'll come back and be like, Oh, uh, next week I'm going to be buying that. I promise. And then they never buy it. Like if you give them yeah. the money right away and you're like, Hey, Oh, uh, how much do you want? Can you order this for me? I will pay right now up front. Most shops, unless it's just not in their network. Um, if it's not with a distributor that they currently have, or they might That's have another thing, yeah. some background hoops to get it. 
they might say no, but most often if it's in their network, they'll just be like, sure, if you want to give us money up front, we'll order for you. This will be the price. Give them the money. We'll do it. And then um, to kind of piggyback off that, another good tip if you're not one of the people like Dan said where you're just going to make the flyers do all the demos, start with a friend and get a couple other friends rounded up. If you come to the shop alone and say, hey, you care in this, they say no, come back when you have six people. If you go in yeah. like four to six people, like to them, you're one person, you're probably not going to buy a lot. But if you come with the pack of people, you now have at least enough to run local tournaments. They can maybe, if they have the resources, easily do that. And then if six people are buying stuff, they could maybe order a case because they're like, hey, we'll order a case maybe two because we have at least six players that'll probably buy a box each or even just handfuls of, you know, packs. Yeah, um, I just thinking from my perspective, you know, I I can completely confirm that the number of people who say, oh, yeah, I'll come and get that next week is abysmally low as far as the ones who actually do come and buy the thing. Right. It's like it's um, it's it is definitely a thing where you need to put the money on the table. And I think that's really clever. If you if even if it's just you and one other person so far, if you know, all you've done is step one is you found one other person to play with you. You go into the shop together, like in person and talk to them about it. Just, like talk to the owners, be like, Hey, we want to buy this through you guys. One, can we order some stuff Two, And then like, you can also say, can I show you the game? Right? Like, because mm -hmm. if they have time, sometimes they're very busy. There's a lot of stuff you have to do depending on how big their staff is. But, um, if, you know, if you can at least just like show them how the game works, show them that it'll it give them way more information about the thing than they had before and if if the game is good like you think it is then they will be more interested in in potentially stocking they'll have a little more faith in the product and they've seen a couple of people who want to buy it like you said so that those are like huge steps just to start to get you're, you're like really you're just you're wedging your foot in the door with this process and that's and it's like that's all you really need to do to then start to develop a thing where, okay, like then you start the next step. What if you've done that already, there's some product on the shelf, you and a buddy, or maybe up, up to four. If you're, if you just have some friends who want to do it or something. Um, now all you have to do is say, Hey, do you have a space for us some night of the week, some day of the week where we can come play as you know, and at this point, right. You've been buying. I was going to say too. Right. Right. Uh, and you always do your gameplay sessions at the shop because there's always going to be someone every day, almost probably more than one that'll walk by and be like, Hey, what do you get? Like, what's this game? I've never seen it before. And that's when you start the hooking process and you're like, Oh, let me tell you about this sick game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, you know, if you're, if you're following this process at this point, you've paid them, you've like, you've made them money. Even if this is your first time ever in the shop, you know, you've now made them money because you've ordered your product through them and you, you, maybe got them to stock something on the shelf that they've been able to sell, sell a couple of copies of. By the way, like we always like when we started We Cross in the area, we got we got one of our local shops to sell it. Uh, our Josh, the the owner of J Dub's cars who sponsors us also, shout out, um, was like amazed. He was like, yeah, I already sold through all the starter decks and not to you guys. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what happened. Dude, there's like a bunch of We Cross players here. I don't know how to find. Uh, <laughs> and the thing is like there will be random people who then do just pick it up off the shelf. But the key is you have to start by that promise of like, hey, we're going to make sure you get some money right away. And now when you come in and you say, Hey, do you have room for us? You're not just the people, the, the vampires who are going to suck up the time and the space or whatever. You are now these customers who are in charge of you who are, who are helping that game flow off the shelf. 
And they're going to be much more willing to, to be like, oh yeah, sure. You know what? We got some space on Thursday nights. Does that work for you guys? And you can kind of get something set up there. Um, and that's, you know, from there, like you said, you start to get the people who see you playing, you, you may get a poster on the, on the wall or something, you know, find, find a buddy who can, who's toyed around with Photoshop and can throw something together for you or whatever. Um, and you can start to develop something, make a discord server maybe, or if the shop has one, just ask them if they can make a channel for you in their discord server. You know, there's, there's all these little things you can do that really don't require you to get out there and be this like super, uh, outgoing personality. Who's just going to like handle everything and take, like, I've, I've been that guy my whole life and I, I get like, it wears on you too. <laughs> like I get it. It's tough to, it's tough to do that all the time. Um, or it's yeah. tough to do that at all for some people. And then another great tip, if uh, you're the one who, whether you're going to be the one who's out front spearheading or if you're going to do the more subtle approach um, that we were talking about before, one tip I'd have, if you have the extra income and the extra card space, always keep a vanilla starter deck or demo deck, a set one for each player, intact and sleeved up and ready to roll. Um, for me, like everywhere I go, even when I go to non-Grand Art, like Grand Archive related stuff, when I'm going to MHA, I bring my Grand Archive starter decks in case someone's interested or when I talk about it, they're like, hey, it'd be interesting. No, I could be like, hey, I have decks with me right now. You want to play a game and find out how to play? Um, another reason why I suggest that is because as much as we all like to believe that we're pro deck builders, um, <laughs> it's really bad to demo with pre-constructed decks because A, um, they might not like the strategies that you're going for, and it's a lot harder to grasp if you need to know going into the deck what it is. You mean but demo with your with your constructed decks, not pre? Yeah, like the decks that you personally construct, yeah. okay. because sure. it, it messes up, and you don't want someone to walk away from a game having like a terrible loss or a bad experience, not because they didn't like the game, but because the deck performed weirdly because they didn't know what you were going for with the deck. Um, the starter decks in most games do a great job of not overloading the player with too much information, but they give them just enough of a taste to be like, Ooh, I want more. Um, and they're generally more balanced to each other. Um, so like, you know, the, the Rye and Lorraine starter decks have gone through multiple iterations specifically against fighting each other. Uh, so they're very well-rounded and it's a good place to bring them in. Or if you're trying to get like UFS or MHA at your store, um, a lot of the starter decks are made in the same way. Jasco does a good job of making them a pair, basically like one unit they're made to fight each other. So it gives players a really good experience, whether they lost or won, they get a good idea of what cards do. Um, and it, like I said, generally the starter decks don't overload people with too much information. And a lot of them will have the the keywords outlined what they do. So it's a lot easier for you know players who haven't played the game to know what keywords do, because a lot of them aren't aren't intuitive. Yeah, I, I completely, I, I, that's a mistake I've seen. And I think that's a mistake I I've, well, I think we did it. We made this mistake actually personally, just like just to full transparency. I remember when you were trying to, you and I were trying to get, um, UFS universes going before my hero hit and we had a few decks made, but we didn't, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why, but some, we had a few players who just started playing with like, like full constructed UFS decks instead of the starter sets. Yeah. The first and, round of like the first like couple hours I did like some demoing at paradox. I was doing it with my constructed decks. And after someone, I can't remember, but it's one of the random patrons that came in, like mentioned something about it being like confusing or something, or there's too much happening. And I was like, 
that's a good point. And I immediately put those ones away and got the intact Cowboy Bebop starter decks and was like, this is what people are going to demo with because this is much easier to follow. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a game where there's just so much going on at all times that like you need those. The reason that the starter decks have simpler card effects and everything is just because you, if you try to take like you know, one of the top decks right now and learn how to play the game with it. There's just, there's just too much. There's too much stuff to pay attention to. There's so, so many like quirky, like one ofs and stuff in the deck that are just like that, you know, they can't even remember what everything does, let alone figure out how to use it. So it's, yeah. um, and some card games, it can, things can just be like super unbalanced, you know, like you, you might, you might have two decks on you, right? One is the current bet, best meta deck and the other is your pet rogue deck. And it's like, hey, want to learn how to play the game? This one's going to get crushed, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> like, that's not that's not as much fun. So usually those pre-cons are the perfect way just to get people going. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Just, like, have a couple pre-cons on you at all times if you're, like, trying to grow a certain community. And you'll be surprised at the amount of people who are just like, oh, you know what? Sure, I got, like, I got 20 minutes. Let me show me the game. Let me see what it's like. Um, and that's that'll, that'll get a little campaign going for you. You'll start getting people in and then suddenly boom you got a you got a flourishing air local meta and yeah your area is going to be awesome you have so many so much fun playing so many fun small card games yeah so yeah that was that was a great thing to bring up jordan because that's something i've, I've wanted to talk about for a while it's it's um certainly there's more layers to it by that by the way i, I want to mention that like your mileage always will vary. There are some shops that are just very different in the way they interact with things than others. While others, like we mentioned earlier, some are really open to things. Some are absolutely not open to things. Some areas have multiple shops and none of them will carry anything that isn't magic Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon. That's like, that's, that sucks. That sucks. And it happens. Um, I guess there's like local libraries and ordering on Amazon and stuff. Like there are things that you can do, I guess, but it's the situation where like the reason LGSs are so critical is because the people who go in there are actively interested in this thing. And it's like outside of like trying to like advertise at a Barnes and Noble anime section or whatever, it's going to be like hard to find people who act might even care a little bit about anime pictures on trading cards that have complicated rules text on them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, that's a, maybe a struggle for another full discussion there, but that's um, yeah. That interesting stuff. I guess I'll just real quick. So I've said something I'm going to throw out that. Uh, so March of the machine released for magic, the gathering. Um, and if I don't talk about it now, it'll be next month and it'll be old news at that point. So I got to talk about it right now. Um, March of the machine is the first, Magic the Gathering set to debut a completely new card type since Lorwyn in 2007 or 8 or something. So it's like, we're talking like 16 years or whatever, 15, 16 years. No, they, have the, they had the, uh, oh no, those are technically enchantments. Never mind. I was going to be like the, the, what are they called? Where you have like the three stages, the stories or whatever. Ah, yes. Yes. Sagas. Sagas. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But those sagas are technically are... enchantment saga. Yep. Right. They are. Okay. You know, sagas have been, sagas have been seen, seeing more. Yes. There's even, there's new sagas in like almost every set now, every other set or something like that. So like, yeah, it's a good point that sagas are unique, but they're really just a unique form of enchantment, right? Yeah. They're not a new card type. So the new card type is battle. And it's uh, for people who haven't caught it, I just think it's very interesting. So if you're familiar with Planeswalkers or 
maybe you can re- draw a reference to unison cards in Dragon Ball Super, which are kind of like planeswalkers that can attack things, sort of. Um, they're they're a little different, but um, the basic gist of this of a card type like a planeswalker is it comes into play. It, I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. It comes into play. Um, it has X number of loyalty on it, which is just like its health value. It's counted with a little die. Um, every turn, you can use it, an ability on it to get a little bit of value. And your opponent at some point can attack it or use a card effect to destroy it or whatever. But they can attack it to try and get rid of it. Um, and so it's like it's it creates a sub game in Magic. The reason they're so popular, the reason they went so well, is that it was the first. It was the first major shift in the game where it created a sub game where now it's like, okay, do I want to attack my opponent and try and win the game, or do I want to attack their Planeswalker to prevent them from gaining some incremental advantage every turn that might snowball to them winning the game instead? In interesting little. You know, interesting little game that gets played when Planeswalkers hit play. They've they've become very, even though people were initially very, very unsure, reluctant to have anything new in their game. And I was there at the time. I remember this. And it's like, I don't know about these Planeswalkers. I don't like them. They're whatever. Like, I heard all of it, right? Um, turns out they're beloved at this point. People love Planeswalkers. They, they, everyone gets so excited, so excited to see the new Planeswalkers in every set. Like, if, honestly, it's like the first thing I look at the new set. I'm like, let me see what the new Planeswalkers are. Just because like sometimes they're bonkers crazy. Um, sometimes they're just interesting, like whatever they're or they're cool story beats or whatever. They're characters that we come to love. So um, where I'm going with this is is battles. The first reaction. I don't know about these things. I don't like them. <laughs> what are battles? Well, you play them. And they go into play on your opponent's side of the field. Well, this type of battle. They've, they've clarified that these current ones are called sieges, and there will be more subtypes in the future. The current ones are called sieges. So you pay them, pay a mana cost for them. They're sideways cards, actually, which is cool. I always love when card games do that. It's fun. Um, they go into play on your opponent's side of the field, and then they uh, sit there, and they have a little counter on them. And, uh, oh, I should say, they do something when they come into play. They all do something when they come into play. Um, and it's usually an overcosted card for the front side, for, for the, the battle side. It's like, you know, it's like you pay four mana to search for two basic lands, which is an effect you can uh, you can get for three mana sometimes or, or whatever, three mana with a, or four mana with a different benefit attached to it or whatever. Um, so they're like they're like slightly overcosted for the effect that you get generally. Um, but then they come into play and they have a little counter on them. And now you can attack your battle that you played because your opponent is chosen as the protector of it. And if you choose to attack the your battle instead of attacking your opponent, you deplete counters from it. And when it runs out of counters, you transform it, you flip it to the other side, and then it has a spell you can cast for free, which is sometimes a gigantic creature. Sometimes it's a sorcery that is a bunch of stuff or an enchantment. There's like one is like an enchantment that allows you to uh, oh man, actually, you know what? This card is just sweet. I, I remember everything about it. It's a five mana green battle. That's like when it comes into play, uh, choose three permanent cards in your graveyard, put them in your hand. Which is like actually pretty sweet. Like in commander, especially it's going to be a big commander card. It's just, just regrow any three things, permanent, permanent cards, not other spells. Um, uh, battles are permanents by the way. Um, so you return it to your hand. And then when you flip this thing, when you deal enough damage to it, it's either like five or six to flip. I can't remember. Um, then it's an enchantment that says at the beginning of your upkeep, you may, uh, put a permanent from your hand into play for free. 
Yeah, it's just like it's pretty sweet, right? <laughs> so okay, so the initial reaction to this very interesting because um, a lot of people immediately thought, and and like uh, me too. My very first reaction was, why would I deal six damage to this thing to get an effect when I could just kill my opponent? <laughs> you know, it's like okay, now I get a thing and I gave my opponent a turn to answer my thing. And then where did I get with this? Then you get Emrakul on the field for free and win the game. <laughs> Not if they just, that gave them a turn and they drew a destroy target non-land permanent thing. Boom. It's just like, okay, congratulations. You didn't do damage to me and I killed your thing and stuff. Um, okay. And, and, you know, you like, you got the effect from the front side and everything. So like, there's, there's probably like a card advantage math you can do there about it where you'd be like, yeah, it's, it's justifiable. But okay. I've played, I played with battles a bunch now because I've been playing an arena and everything. Um, here's, this is, this is my key thing. I wasn't thinking about when I was in, when I was in, analyzing these, I'm going to, I'm going to guess for at least a couple of people. My goal is if one person out there also has an epiphany moment with this, then I'm successful. Okay. So, um, if this, if you already thought of this is a Dan, you're an idiot. Everyone know that. Okay. That's fine. I don't care. Um, so my, it happened in the middle of a limited game when I was attacking my opponent and they could have blocked it and they just went, nah, whatever. I'll just, you know, I'll take, take, take five. It's so it doesn't matter. It puts me to 15. I don't really care. Like this doesn't, that doesn't win you the game. I don't care. And I'm, I'm not going to sack my creatures to block this or whatever. And then my opponent did the same thing to me, but they did it to a battle that I controlled. And I was like, no, I can't that. I can't let that take five. Like that's, I'm going to lose the game now. And then I realized this is what it is. This is what a battle is. All of the chip damage in the early to mid game doesn't really matter as much as the like end game damage that wins you the game, right? So instead, you funnel it towards this target that snowballs you into the end game instead. And like, yeah, you miss out on that like chip damage on the opponent there, but the value of that snowball is actually higher because a lot of the time you you straight up just don't care about if you're if you're a competitive magic player you want, you've done this a million times you just let the opponent hit you you're like doesn't matter it's part of my game plan the life total's there to be lost it only matters life's when you lose the, resource, the last one baby. life's a resource exactly yeah well it's the same thing here right it's 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 that the life that you would lose in the mid game or the early to mid game just isn't as important and instead, if you in, in the same in the you know if you just switch that around, the life that your opponent would lose from this attack in the mid to late in early game isn't that important for most for not most decks for for the decks that play these. Um, and instead, when you direct it to the battle, and you just you just get so much advantage from this thing. It's basically the point where um, in sealed deck for sure, uh, but even arguably in draft, you you should be looking at your pool and being like, how many battles can I play? <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're in limited. They're quite quite good. The advantage is just very large on them, um, and it's uh, I'm I'm really fascinated to see where they go with battles. They're um, it's an interesting card type. I like them more than I thought I would. Um, I'm actively slot trying to slot them in some commander decks now because I think they're pretty cool. And there's a lot of room with the fact that like the siege subtype is just the one that made the rules on them for them to, the thing I'm really interested to see, I saw someone shout out to a random person on the internet who said this, I don't know who it was, <laughs> um, but they said, it'll be really cool to see a battle card type, a battle subtype that is you put it into play under someone's control 
And then whoever kills it gets the reward, not just you get the reward if it dies. So that when you're playing a multiplayer commander game, you're like, all right, here's this battle. The reward's insane. Who's going to get it first? And you put it down, you like, you put it down, you attack, and then someone's like, I'm going to kill your creature even though you're attacking them because I want to kill that battle and get that thing instead. You know, like, that sounds fun. That's exciting stuff. So, um, Jordan, what, what do you think about the battle card type? I think it is, yeah. I feel like it adds an interesting dynamic. I haven't personally played them. I saw one yesterday. But, uh, yeah, it seems... I like the I like the mechanic, so it's 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 cool. I'm glad that Magic's finally doing something that's not just the same thing over and over <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, that's... Uh, I also heard um, that Plane Chase made a return this time around, and Plane Chase is one of my favorite modes of all time. And it I was sure like, did. I thought for a minute, I was like, "Do I make a commander deck to play Plane Chase?" He with? Almost is getting into it again. You're gonna have to for the Gen Con trip. There's gonna be Commander going all the ride down in the RV, baby, in Mike's RV. We'll, we'll be testing the epic multiplayer Grand Archive rules instead. Ooh, maybe. I don't know about that. There, we'll still only have set one at that point. <laughs> so, Isn't set two? No, because, yeah, set two is end of August, not the beginning. Yep, yep, unfortunately. but uh, So I don't know if there's going to be epic multiplayer Grand Archive happening, but there will be epic Commander happening, and I will. I still own the full set of Plane Chase from before. I need to add the new ones to the collection. I'm excited to roll the planar die again and just have some random chaos fun. So that, that was an exciting thing in the new set too. Very cool set overall merch of the machine. Um, I, I love what they did with it. It's just a, it's just a, it's a big, like gigantic sh- grabbing you and shaking you with nostalgia kind of set. Like maybe it's heavy handed for some people, but it's like, there's tons of things that are like, these are those two characters from that plane from seven years ago. Remember them? They're on one card now. And like, that's, you know, I don't know. I, for me, it's like, that works. That's fine. That I, I was just jacked watching the whole spoiler season. Like, yeah, I wonder who they're going to bring from Theros. I wonder who they're going to bring from Amonkhet. Like, I want to see all the cool new like duos and stuff and the, and the Praetors. And it's just like, yeah, it's a, um, as a limited format, I think it's garbage. Uh, <laughs> personally like hold on i would Wait, I like to say how great battles are and i love battles i love battles the okay I, and i i do need to play a little bit more i've had a few bad beats um which hasn't been very fun it's a it's a very bomby limited format crazy bomby every your pools have more rares on average because of this because of the multiverse legends card slots um, that are, it's like Strixhaven where they had, uh, they had like these special spells and stuff. Brothers War, they had the retro artifacts in March of the Machine. They have multiverse legends. That's just a subset of legendary creatures from the past like 20 years of magic. So it's like is, is Memnarch in it. Memnarch's not in it. I'm sorry. Um, no, I don't care. Get it out of here. <laughs> Garbage. <laughs> okay. But my point is there's like twice as many bombs in any set limited pool that you open. Because there's all these just like legendary creatures. You open a bunch of them. A bunch of them are like three colors, five colors, <laughs> like whatever. Like, And the fixing is rough in this form. But it's like in your pool, you like have to play three colors sometimes just to like stretch or like to play bombs that matter. If you don't play your bombs, your opponent's just going to run over you because they're going to be like, here's a... 12 12 and when i attack i make six one one life linkers and stuff and it costs me six mana or <laughs> that's 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 galta and maverin from ixalan it's like it's it there's just crazy stuff and the fixing is really hard there are no rare lands in the set it's only common tap lands for for dual lands um and there's a few artifacts that fix some mana i've i've like 
stretch to play like a vehicle that you can crew to turn into a birds of paradise to tap for a color man of any color. Like I was like, I need this thing. I can't, I'm not going to make it without this thing. Um, so it's, uh, it's probably a format where green's very good because it like actually lets you do that. There's a few things that tap for any color or whatever. Um, but, uh, it just feels really, uh, really, you know, high variance, I guess, because of just how bomby and, and how tough it is to get your mana. Sometimes it's showing, it shows kind of the worst of the magic land system, you know, rather than sometimes when I think formats can show the best of it instead. Um, so yeah, I love, I love parts of it. Um, but I, I'm probably not going to play a ton more of the limited format personally. Maybe, maybe someone will correct me on why it's great, but it's not to my taste maybe. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was my discussion of March of the Machine. Um, now with that all said, let's jump into the main topic of the conversation today, which is going to be, is life decking a sin? Referencing the, uh, excellent video by Kodak on life decking the seven deadly sins of card gaming, life decking. Um, so let's preface this by just laying out the topic, right? Um, so there's a series of these videos. If you guys like this, by the way, let me know. We can we can cover other videos in the series too. I think it's just a, it's a it's been a a lot of TCG players have watched these videos. It just became a very popular TCG series. Anyone who's vaguely interested in TCG design might have seen it pop up in their feed and clicked on it. And if you haven't, now maybe you've watched it too. If you you've gone and clicked the link in the description. Um, but it covers a a variety of topics. This one, um, was just one that was closer to my heart. So it's the one I started with. Uh, so life decking is the concept in some card games, doesn't exist in every card game where your life resource, the resource by which you are alive in the game and determines who wins and loses the game, at least part of the time is your deck itself. And usually in these games, they'll have mechanics where, when you do something to deal damage to your opponent, they lose that many cards from the top of their deck. Um, I have learned that, uh, well, I thought most card games just put them in the discard pile, and that, that's probably true. I've learned that the Gundam War card game, by the shout out, okay, I have to do another shout out. Shout out to Card Game Crypt, an excellent YouTube video. I'll link it in the description as well. Um, Two Lanes from Card Game Crypt has been hanging out in the Discord, chatting with us. I love his videos. He's really, really funny. Watch his video on Illustrals. I I had a I was laughing my my dang took us off just uh, watching him like show how to play Illustrals. It was a it was a cool video. Um, that's the uh, A Drives card game, right? Yeah, it's A Drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that was how I learned how to play the game, and it was really entertaining. So I uh, shout out to definitely check out Card Game Crypt in the description as well. Um, but yeah, he he was he mentioned that the Gundam War card game uh, was one where apparently you take the cards off your deck and put them into like a face down pile that you can't normally access. It's different than the discard pile. So it is life decking. It's just, but, it doesn't go to discard. It goes to this nebulous third zone. But then, then he also said that there is a, like a, a color in the game effectively that could draw from it, uh, from that pile specifically. So like, okay, so I'm, I'm getting, I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Point is, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the point is that in a life decking game, you do damage to the opponent, you lose your deck. You usually don't have a life counter in these games because there's no reason to. That is your life. Um, so the video is about why life decking is a, a deadly sin of TCG design. And um, the argument laid out is... Uh, 
it's an argument that I think I think there uh, the core point of it is kind of laid out at the very beginning, which is talking about how fun it is really to have a life decking situation. Um, he starts out by pointing out Mark Rosewater, who's been Magic's you know, the the name behind Magic Design for a long time. He's he was a lead designer for a long time, all sorts of stuff. Um, Rosewater did some a series of talks and in which he talked about uh, lessons that they learned. Um, making Magic the Gathering, and one was about players wanting to play their cards. Um, and this is framed as a core argument against life decking because the point of life decking is that it gets rid of cards from your opponent's deck, and then they don't get to play their cards, and then they are not having a good time. They don't get to play the cards. They, they just watch them go to the graveyard and go, well, that sucks. I lost that card now. Um, now, Jordan, I, that, I, w- I would say there's more to that video, right? But like, I think I do think that Kodak gets pretty into the weeds on Bakugan specifically for about the latter half of the video. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know that we need to talk specifically about the sins of Bakugan. That maybe that's another podcast. This actually I really like the name of that video, the sins of Bakugan <laughs> get a kick out of that. Um, but uh, I guess with just that, with that basic argument in mind, Right, Jordan, since you and I have a lot of experience playing uh, games like Dragon Ball Z that use life decking as a mechanic, I want to hear your opinion. What do you think about life decking and the argument made? Um, I disagree with his points, um, partially just because um, the main thing, and I'll probably draw a lot on Dragon Ball Z for this because I feel like they did it correctly. Um, life decking as a mechanic I don't think is a sin at all. Using life decking as a mechanic when you don't build the game from the ground up as being an inherent mechanic of the game is a sin. But you could say that about literally any card game mechanic ever. If you don't account and build cards with that in mind constantly, it'll be not fun. Um, one of the things he said in, is like for magic is like the, the presentation that the, the gentleman that develops magic said is people want to play their cards and they don't like mill or like, you know, it wasn't dredge. It was threshold because they're throwing away cards that they wanted to play. But at the same time, Magic players love playing cards that say, draw five, discard three. And it's like, you're still just discarding cards. It's not about that. It's just about the feeling of the power being taken away, which Mill just does inherently. But again, it does it for Magic, because Magic isn't built around holistically. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of black cards and other cards where you can do stuff with the graveyard. But at its core, most cards don't have any effect when they get shelled off the top of your deck. There's no benefit to it. You don't do anything versus something like Dragon Ball Z where they built that game with that as a core mechanic. So there's a lot of cards that do a ton of stuff when they're taken off the top of the deck. Sometimes you'll be able to banish it to do other stuff. Sometimes you'll be able to just play that. Um, There's a lot of cards that directly let you grab stuff out of there. So half the time in DBZ, you're like, man, I hope I take this card for damage because I'm your turn. It's going to come straight at you. So yeah, like, for real. They built that with options in place, knowing that there's going to be stuff in the discard and you're going to be shelling a lot of cards off the top versus something like Bakugan. Haven't personally played it, but I you know, watched the video a couple times. I read up on the rule set. It really seemed like their life decking, like I said, wasn't built from ground up. It was an afterthought. The sideways cards didn't seem like they had a lot of thought put into them other than we need something to stop people from dying in one turn. I guess we'll put these cards in. There wasn't a lot of interaction. The cards in your hand did nothing, which is bad. In DBZ, the card effects that do stuff off the top are in addition to regular stuff that you want to play. 
there was very little cards in that game that did something great when it was banned and took you know shelled off the top that didn't also do something equally great while in your hand it wasn't like oh this card is a crappy attack and it's just in the deck for the for the endurance or it's just in the deck for when i take damage i can do something it's like no wherever i see this card whatever's happening to it i'm excited about it now i okay so um in dbz yeah i I think dbz is a great example of a game and and specifically like um panini dbz i think was the more refined version of it that uh, i think really was built from the ground up with that concept in mind i feel like the score dbz if you're only experienced with that is like the original saiyan saga release i don't think a lot of thought went into score dbz until trunk saga like yeah, and if <laughs> I'll play, I preface that with Panini Z because they knew going in that it was big. yeah the original incarnation of score I played a little teeny bit on the latter end, but the bulk of my experience with it as a competent card game player was with Panini Z and they knew designing those cards going in like life deck is important we got to make cards that do good interactions with that yeah and and um so that's why they had they had cards from the very start of the game like visiting the past which is a card that just you you had to you had to play it on a non-combat turn basically you, you had to you had, you couldn't if you drew it in combat it was it was a dead card until your next turn i, I have to feel like i've prefaced that just to make it sound like i don't want to sound like we're contradicting ourselves those cards just couldn't be played during combat but then on your next turn you could put it on play and it was the most powerful card in the game effectively because it would just allow you to search anything out of your discard pile and play it it was a staple in every deck period but and keep that, going you still could play it on a combat turn, but it had to be yours because you don't get a setup oh, set yeah, yeah. on yep. your opponent's turn. Um, so you still, even if you drew it on a combat turn, you could still just be like, play it on the field, go to combat. Yep. And yeah. and it was, a, it was a critical card because that was one of the cards that enabled the life decking mechanic to matter a lot more arguably maybe too much like it you know i think i think it was it was maybe a little more tuned than it needed to be but it was one of those things that was the reason why you'd go i really hope this thing gets milled (laughs) on damage because then i'm gonna have it next turn otherwise it's gonna i probably won't draw it um okay so yeah i think that's really important to note which is that the you know the the game needs to be built from the ground up um even in panini z this is the other thing i was gonna say even in panini z there were sometimes cards that got played in major competitive decks that were, I mean, I know there are cases where people said, I play this because the endurance is high. I know I've, I've seen that happen, but mm-hmm. the, the key is that it wasn't a card that did nothing. It was a card that did was under value. Um, like for, you know, what you'd expect out of a card you play in your hand, but that instead of being a, I'm forced to play this and it doesn't do anything situation. It was a, I'm strategically choosing to build my deck with this because I value the side of it when it's milled versus the side in my hand. And often it would also be like, you'd have ways to control that, you know, like again, in that game, you could always go, okay, I won't enter combat this turn, discard this card that I want in my deck and then rejuvenate it back into my deck. And you could then, you know, you could set up again, the game, the game was built with some of these facets in mind where that, which, which allowed it to work a lot better. And that's another um, thing I was going to mention too, is it, it's not just looking at putting stuff into the discard pile, but it has to have a lot of interaction with putting things back into your deck. Because like you, like you just said, like there's a lot of mechanics in DBZ that allows you to put something on top or rejuvenate it, put it back in the deck um, and you know do different shenanigans that way. Mm-hmm. Having the ebb and flow of going back and forth is really important because again, I haven't played Bakugan, but it really sounds like there wasn't a lot of ways to get cards back, which also means 
once they're gone, they're gone, and you're just kind of screwed. In DBZ, there were games where I was playing against, you know, one of the Danzels, and he loves his Piccolo Rejuvenation, and I'd get him down to, like, five cards. And three turns later, he has 25 cards back in his deck, and I'm like, please, just die. Like, the the thing that <laughs> that that really gets at that I think is an important fact. So like, um, oh man, I have so many things to talk about. The first thing uh, is I'm going to stick with this thread right away. Um, so life decking has a number of benefits that I really don't think are given the credit that they deserve in that video. One of the big benefits is simply the uh, simplicity of play of a game with with a life deck. Um, now, unfortunately, this is where I think DBZ isn't a great example. Cause then it also needed like a, a, like you had to literally have a table of numbers to like figure out how to, how to deal damage to people. Unless you're like a, a math whiz, a like big big, 200 IQ, big brain. Like I can remember this entire table. Um, and then I never trusted you. I had to just look it up myself anyway. Um, and then you had to like, you'd use that the thing to like track your power stages. So like DBZ had a bunch of reasons why it was fiddly other that, yeah. that weren't your Definitely life total perfect, and life tracker, but, but in a lot of games where you have a life decking mechanic, the simplicity of just being able to put your deck down and draw your hand and play is a cool, it's a cool feature. You don't have to track your life. You don't have to be like, okay, uh, my phone's dying. Can we use your phone? That's, that's the current, the current dilemma, by the way, in this age of card games, um, who's, who's going to pull out the life tracker app to do this. Um, and, and I, I appreciate that, that streamlined simplicity and it, it uh, does not, it makes games feel less fiddly, which is a good thing, better, smoother play experience. Um, I think it creates interesting scenarios where, um, so talking about mill specifically, um, oh man. Okay. I have to preface this. I do have to go back and say one thing. Kodak, in my opinion, misrepresents Mark Rosewater's point unintentionally, unintentionally, not intentionally. Um, in the be in the beginning of that video, the point Mark Rosario makes, like you said, is it's about threshold. Okay, so it's mm-hmm. saying that players didn't like putting their cards in the discard pile to power up a card they haven't played because they put those cards in their deck because they wanted to play them. That is accurate. That's a hundred percent accurate. But you have to have the context correct. The set that had threshold, uh, Odyssey block, basically used threshold as the mechanic. That block had a bunch of cards specifically in the set which had bad effects on them. The effects were like, discard a card, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. That is a terrible... I started playing Magic in that set, so I'm familiar with some that of is a like... That's a terrible card. That's a, in, in, in outside of very specific context. And, and someone's going to shout out, yeah, except Wild Mongrel is like the best card in the format. Yep, yep. But that was out because That's of very one sp- card out of like very specific interactions, right? That was like the Psychotog decks and stuff. Like there were decks where this became a thing. But a whole bunch of these cards did not test well with players because players would put the thing into play and be like, "Well, I don't want to discard this card just to power up my Wild Mongrel slash get myself to give another thing plus one plus one because I reached threshold." That was just not a thing people wanted to do. Interestingly, they delivered. They they went back to the mechanic again in Shadows over Innistrad, um, and uh, and they introduced instead this time Delirium, which is like kind of like Threshold, but you have four different card types. And they had a bunch of card effects that are again just like discard a card to do this thing, um, and they just brought that back on Arena. It's just kind of timely. It's interesting that way. Um, but the point is that 
what Rosewater is talking about isn't players want to play their cards so they don't like losing them to mill. It's players want to play their cards so they don't want to just pitch them to for to do from their hand to do nothing if nothing impactful yeah. on the board, and that's that's really the key lesson. If you think people don't like mill, I mean you're missing this. Again, this is my experience as a card shop employee. The gigantic tidal wave of players who want to do nothing but mill your opponent out as fast (laughs) as possible. Yeah, trauma. Dude, traumatize is a magic card that has been bad forever. Arguably, when they printed Bruvac, the whatever his name is, there's so many dudes in magic, I can't remember his name. Uh, Brutic, no, that's Bruticlad, Bruvac, whatever. It's a dude that's like, whenever you mill your opponent, you mill twice as many. Um, Traumatizes a card that says mill half your opponent's deck. Guess what the combo is? You put the guy into play and then you traumatize them and they mill their whole deck instead. (laughs) You gotta, I gotta, gotta give a credit where it's due. That's funny. But (laughs) um, they're like, Millstone has forever millstone it's not even a good card millstone is forever was forever at expensive like you know five ten dollar card if not more back in 10th edition or whatever and mill wasn't even good like but people just liked doing it um mathematically speaking mathematic like 100 actually it was a there's a big deal the last week or so a reddit post was going around where someone wrote up a mathematical proof for this which is really funny to look at if i remember that'll be linked in the description below. I don't know that I will, but if I do, it'll be linked on there too. Um, mathematically, it can be proven that your odds of drawing any particular card in your deck are exactly the same after milling versus not milling. It doesn't matter because you have exactly the same chance of losing the card you want versus the card you don't want. It's, what if you it's, want all of your cards? That's exactly the argument. That's, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's the point. Is that like, it's, it's that you, you end up creating a set of, okay, either I either I milled the card that I was looking for or I didn't. And then because that's an or situation, you have to add them together when you're calculating the actual probability for this. And then you do all the little probability math. And then it ends up being your chance of drawing the card is one in however many cards are in your deck. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'll link that in there below because it's interesting. But like the point is that milling doesn't actually affect your chances. It's a purely psychological thing. And it's a thing that a lot of people feel like they'll see them losing a card that that's good. And they'll go, ah, I didn't like that. I wanted that card. Okay. And I'm not arguing against that, by the way, to be clear, like people definitely feel that, but to say that players don't like milling is definitely, um, I think just cherry picking that very specific feeling and referring relating it to a talk that didn't actually have anything to do with that specific feeling because it's ignoring the fact that there's this whole swath of player that are like yeah yeah i just want to mill it's really fun to mill milling is super 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 fun and i want to do that um and so anyway my point of all bringing all of that out is that um the grounds by which we decide life decking isn't good is just the fact that people are going to see cards they like in their deck get milled in situations where they had they weren't even necessarily going to draw them. And it's also mm-hmm. ignoring the situations where they're milling away cards they don't care about, and then they end up drawing the cards that they do care about, which is where they go, wow, life decking's amazing. <laughs> like, I love this. And uh, kind of you, to piggyback off of yeah. that, um, the, the, the point you made about like misrepresentation, um, yeah, that's very different than life decking as well because 
you for a lot of those effects that they didn't like you had to lose resources that you actively had in your hand at that moment you had to discard cards no one likes discarding cards most people are indifferent to life decking unless the game is inherently broken and not made for it um and in not not necessarily on that point but i feel like another reason why it works so much like better in something like dragon ball z versus life decking would not be as good in something like magic is the amount of cards you draw mechanically each turn in dbz you draw a lot more cards meaning you're going to see a lot more of your deck statistically than you will in a magic game or in something like grand archive for example there's been multiple games of grand archive with a 60 card deck where I have played with a deck four or five times, and there is still cards that are four ofs in my deck that I have never seen in my hand <laughs> or my graveyard. And I'm yep. like, huh, life decking in this case literally wouldn't have changed anything. There's cards that I still don't see and don't get to play because it's statistically with drawing one card a turn. Um, mechanically, anyway, you know, obviously you can build your deck around drawing a bunch, but that's something you can still do in other games. Like, well, yeah, while you're talking. Yeah, While you're talking yeah. about drawing cards that like that's yeah, it, it's it really does come down to, you know, again, like you said, how the game is built around it. But specifically, there's a really interesting mechanism that you get in a game from having life decking. If I ask you, Jordan, if I ask you what is what is the single most powerful three word phrase you can see on in 99 percent of card games? on any card what's the best three words you want to see i want to see if you can if you guess exactly what's in my mind oh he's thinking he's thinking okay i'll answer it for you okay. I, was, I was trying to be cheeky and find a way to have a card effect that lets you win the game no no come on come on come on it's, draw it's, a card thank you thank you thank you draw a card is what you Opens want to see up options best best three words to see on any card in most card games okay what about in a card game where that is actually also taking a damage? Then it's a maybe I want to do this it's, kind it's, of situation. It's an interesting way to balance card effects that draw a card by making it also deal you damage in that way. You know, so it's like mm -hmm. games that use it properly are are able to do something that other games can't as easily do, which is balancing out card draw effects relative in you know if if you had a card if you had uh dbz cards that were like start of every turn draw draw 10 and discard seven like that'd be really fascinating because yeah. it's like okay i have the same number of cards uh but my selection is crazy but i have like three turns and i lose the game <laughs> <laughs> like I'm out of the game and then at max at max, that's if I'm like really defensive, <laughs> like, you know, and like, I, that's probably busted, honestly, because there's two, there's a number of like really, really busted cards that you could end up just digging to with that. But the point is like it, it opens up this design space that I think is really fascinating. Another design space that's opened up in DZ, DBZ just before I forget to mention it too, is the dragon ball win condition. Um, again, just showing how DBZ was built for this. The idea that um, when you mill Dragon Balls, they, they they can't be destroyed, so they just go to the bottom of your deck every time. And so as you start to take damage in the game, you're, if you're playing a deck that has all seven Dragon Balls, not everyone did, but if you play one that did, and getting all seven Dragon Balls out is a win condition in the game, um, as you are fighting your opponent and plinking their damage down, their deck's getting smaller and smaller, and the, it's getting higher and higher percentage of Dragon Balls. Mm-hmm. 
and it and it creates an incredible tension at the end of the game against that deck where it's like I must finish them now. I have to get to the point where you get to the Dragon Ball loop where all they have is Dragon Balls left in the deck and then I win the game. But if you don't get them to that loop, like the Piccolo players always manage to try and hold out just a little bit right at the end, then they can go draw, 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 Dragon Ball 3, draw, 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 Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball, like, and then they can just boom, boom, boom. I got all seven Dragon Balls. I win the game. And that is only enabled because of life decking as a mechanic. And I think that is, well, I'm sure some people are like salty about losing to it. I think it's a really interesting mechanic to have in a game, if nothing else. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and I think another, uh, go ahead. another way, I, I don't want this to also just be like, DBZ is the greatest game ever. But uh, <laughs> another like thing it. that I think really aids to the life decking and makes it much like very well suited for Dragon Ball uh, Panini Z specifically is, and I don't think this was intentional in the beginning. They just wanted it to be thematic, but I feel like it also makes the game uh, work better um, versus something like Bakugan. Having two damage types, one that eventually will bleed into life cards and one that's straight life cards, Mm. Uh, because the stages system also allows you to mitigate some of that damage so the game doesn't end immediately. Because I know one of the things he mentioned in Bakugan is, like, since there's no real way to get cards back in your deck and there's no alternative damage types, what happens is you just shell your whole deck, it feels bad, and then you lose. And you're like, well, it sucks to be me, I guess. But in DBZ, there was the push and pull of half the cards your opponent's probably using aren't going to immediately deal direct damage, and you have time to bolster that back up and mitigate that damage to have more play back and forth and you're not just constantly losing yeah and dbz had the endurance cards as well as just another like buffer that was put mm-hmm. on the cards where, where every card had well not every card but a lot of cards just had an additional endurance mechanic if you look at gt gt every card had some sort of <laughs> endurance stat on it all the numbers were crazy in that but like it you know it balanced out to be roughly the same thing um and the, these building your your game from the ground up with that in mind, and I think Gundam War apparently I don't have experience with it, but that's another example of one where it looks like they they built it from the ground up. I think it's fascinating in that one where you you get if you take the damage, it goes into a face down pile. You don't get to look at it. You just you just lost it, and you're like, and that actually that gets rid of that psychological feel bad. Yeah, of, it's of still like, like this mystery. It could be the card you don't need this matchup or something. And then, uh, and then created, it also created that design space for the faction that could draw from that as well. Just like, because mm-hmm. now, the up because now <laughs> your outs, I mean, that your outs could be gone and you don't know, but you don't know that they're gone. So right. during the game, you're still like, I can still draw one of my four of's of this. So there's four cards in here, but chances are there's still at least three in here if one's in there. Like, so you, you still know that they're there and you play to your fullest. That is that, and again, this is just hearsay. Like I haven't, I haven't secondhand information. I haven't like looked into the mechanics of this game. But if it's all the way I've been told, um, that would mean that one, the the your psychological perception of what is true about your the state of your probabilities in your deck matches your knowledge of it, right? Which is like different than than imagine matches reality of it, which is different than when you get you mill and you see like one of your really good forms, and you're like, oh. Now I'll never draw the other ones. No, it's still it's still the same. It's still the same probability. It's not. It hasn't changed at all. Um, but the uh, the other thing that that does is it now introduces yet another wrinkle in that card draw thing I was saying earlier, which is okay. So now 
You can have an effect that says draw a card in that Gundam game that would draw a card from your deck and take a life damage. Or you can have an effect that says draw a card from your damage pile, which is now straight draw a card. It's no longer mm. draw a card and take a damage. It's You've just straight already draw. already taken the damage. And it yeah. wasn't you doing it. It was your opponent. And so, so in a way, it's like mitigating the damage they did because you're still getting the value out of it. Yeah, it's I think that's that's um that's really interesting, too, honestly, like and I think it's a I just think it's a shame in general just to blanket state that life decking is a problematic mechanic because there are a number of these cases where it is used as an interest. I don't think every game needs to have life decking, by the way, that's certainly not the case, but. Um, as people who appreciate a wide variety of TCGs, as I know Kodak does, as you know, Card Game Crypt does in our Discord and everything, um, and a lot of our Discord members obviously are here because they just love, um, they love all sorts of card games. It's, I think it's unfair to just state that it is a problem um, when it introduces a lot of interesting design space to explore that we get to uh, only uniquely experience in those games that use it as a system. Mm -hmm. Um, and about Bakugan, I just have to say like, I, okay. So now I'm thinking back to my, um, TCG tier list last November and I did not have Bakugan. And honestly, I straight up, I didn't know that people actually played Bakugan. Wait, I thought it was like a done game. Like I thought it would, it was not, no, it's still in print. It's in production. Like, yeah, my my nephew went crazy for Bakugan a couple of years ago. He was like, he would just wanted all the all the Bakugans, and um, I yeah like okay, so like I knew that like people bought the toys and played with them. Like I, they're cool. They they pop. They like you throw them and they like pop open and stuff. But that's that's cool. They came with cards. I assume honestly, I'm being honest right now. I assume people just threw them away. Like I I, I just I didn't know that I didn't know there's a community of people who actually earnestly are playing the game and analyzing its uh, competitive viability in the way that Kodak was in this video. Um, And I mean, it's not like it surprises me just given the internet now, but um, it does sound like my take on this is it does sound like the designers felt the same way as me. They also didn't think anyone would actually play the game or something because I got to be okay. So like, I think, I think we've been, we've been stating our disagreements a lot, but like straight up, if there's one thing I can agree with Kodak on, in that video, that mechanic sounds bad, really, really bad. If that was the only experience I had and I hadn't played a game that did life decking correctly, I would probably be on his side of the fence and be like, yeah, life decking sounds like the worst possible, like, thing you can do um i definitely agree with them like bakugan system like i said it literally sounds like the developers did it in an afterthought like they're like let's make a game and like well we need to make it different at like stage five of six of making their game and they're like oh have the deck be life sound good ship it and then they're yeah. like okay so <laughs> it, it, outside of the sideways cards which again are implemented poorly they're not fun like they don't sound good at all like it doesn't seem like anything else was built with the fact that your deck is your life and mind at all. If, if people out there now, this, I got, I got in my initial, the, some of the first few comments on that tier list video I did were super show fans like blasting me. And, and actually what I have to say since then is that looking into it more, it's not even a really a trading card game so much as it's a, a like, card game. it's an LCG, but they do make like promo versions of cards and stuff that you can get, which so like, that's where I think it like can 
take the trading mechanic, but like I actually next year, I won't even include in the list because I don't think it, it meets my particular criteria for what makes one. However, Bakugan does. So that should probably be on the list too, as long as it's still in print there. But, um, okay. So don't let my naivety get you down. If you are Bakugan fan, let me know. I keep having to not say Bakugo, by the way, from all the My Hero. If, if you're a Bakugan fan, Drop it in the comments below. Let me know what do you what do you honestly think about the card game? Is it awesome? Am I missing something out? Or is Kodak right? Is this like mechanic terrible? Um, and that like ruins the game or like what's going on? Like just play it in spite of it. You're just like, let's just forget about this mechanic and play the fun part of the game. Yeah. I mean, uh, which yeah. is by the way, like that's a thing that we do all the time in, in all sorts of games. You're like, like you house rule something, you're like, whatever that's like this game's like carcassonne is a board game is like one where a lot of people go i hate drawing a tile off the top and just playing it so let's play with hands of tiles you draw you have two in your hand and then you play one and you draw another that's uh that's a house rule people use they took the they took out the part they thought was lame and they made it fun instead um so that's cool um kodak did mention one more thing at the end and i feel like we'd be remiss to not talk about this um i thought this was an interesting uh, analogy to draw that like I wasn't really thinking about, but um, I certainly can see where he's going with this. He talks about games like uh, Kaijudo or Duel Masters that use the shield system. Mm-hmm. Um, or and like I, Digimon. I was going to say, I think you could, I think you could then extrapolate this also to games like Digimon and Final Fantasy and uh, We Cross and White Schwartz, <laughs> like a lot of games that use, you take cards off the top of the deck as Damage in, in the case of Duel Masters and Kaijudo, it's you just set them out in front of you at the start of the game. It's the same thing as the other games where you just take them off in the middle of the game yeah, instead. That's how you do it in Digimon too. You Except put less cards aside for your security. It's like okay, oh yeah, sorry. Digimon is exactly you're right. You're absolutely right. Thank you for the correction. Um, but yeah, it's 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 less manipulatable in those in Digimon and Kaijudo than it is in some of the other games where you can have you have to they the designers then have to tiptoe around effects that stack your deck because those can become excessively powerful when you can just choose to put powerful burst effects or what, or, or whatever on top of your deck when you take the damage. Um, but the, yeah, the point is he, I think he talks about those being a sort of a fixed version of life decking, um, because they often allow you to use the card when you get hit for damage as well. Um, and, I don't know how you feel about this, Jordan. I'll just start with my initial thoughts. It's like, I don't necessarily disagree. Like, I'm not, it's not like a hill I would die on where I'd be like, you know, absolutely not. Like, I'm a life decking purist, you know, like whatever. But like, um, it's to me, I guess it's just like, it's a point where I just consider a well-constructed life decking game one where you kind of already have like, it. it's like we were saying, like you're, discard pile is a resource in general as part of the game. So it's not like losing the card. Isn't like, I just lost that forever. Like you don't rip the card up and it's like, it's gone forever now. It's like, it's there. And then you can access it with some other effects or something, or you can rejuvenate it back into your deck. You can draw it in your hand. You can, you know, whatever. Um, so it's like, to me, it's like a, it's, I don't know. It's like a, it's a horse of peace kind of thing. It's like, it's, it's similar really to what like it's sure it's different than Bakugan, which is a bad life decking game. But, uh, from what I've heard, um, but it's not different really distinctly than games that are done well. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'll say this and I don't, it's going to sound like I'm attacking or calling certain like games or developers of those games, like not as skillful, but that's not what I mean by this at all. So I'll just preface it with that. 
I think that mechanic is fine and it works and does remedy the situation of having a bad life deck game, but it mainly just because it allows the card creators to make basically more conventional cards and not have to design around anything brand new, which again mm. is going to sound like I'm attacking the developers like, oh, they're just not skillful enough to make a unique game around this mechanic. No, it just means, uh, you know, from a business perspective too, maybe their idea or their themes doesn't go with a life deck, but they need something different. Um, so it, I think it works fine. Like you said, it's not like egregious or bad in any way. It's just... That way they can design their cards in a more normal manner to most normal card games, and they don't have to build their game around this other mechanic. And I think that's why it is perceived to work so much better than life decking. That's just because normal conventional card game mechanics blend with that and gel with that much better than a life deck, which requires you to think about the way you design cards a little differently. So Jordan's take on it is that it's the uh, baby mode card designer strategy just to just to throw something out there that you know is going to work just fine. Um, no, like I, I get what you're saying. It And I yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. I think what you're really getting at there is that it is complicated and difficult to design a game that functionally uses a life deck in an interesting way that isn't inherently broken as hell. Because yeah. it's it's really easy to put reanimate, regrow effects in your game at uh, too high of a frequency or something to the point where it's just like... Yeah, After just, they take half their deck, their deck becomes an in, a super 100% consistent monster that just bulldozes the enemy or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you had too many, it's bad. If you had too little, it's not enough. Yeah, so it's like... That's why I feel like, again, like I said with the Panini game, a half of the mechanics that make the life deck work, I don't even think they were thinking that, oh, we need to put this in here to balance life deck. I think it ended up just being the perfect storm of good ideas that just happened to lend perfectly well to how a life deck system functions. Kind of like I said, the two types of damage, what I'm assuming based on the IP, they didn't do that because they're like, ah, oh, we need to have a check so life deck doesn't get out of control. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, DBZ people power up. They need stages. I mean, yeah, I guarantee you that's how it that's happened. Part not... of the reason I love the game is it's like having the theme of being like, I'm powering up this turn. Look at my power level. <laughs> but it ended up just lending well as a buffer to life decking. And like the endurance, again, was probably more of a thematic choice because they're just like, you know, probably a little bit of it was like, we need something to help mitigate damage. But most of it was just like, think of that time in DBZ when Broly gets smashed in the face and he shrugs it off. Let's make a mechanic based around that. And it's like, oh, endurance. Yeah. But uh, it just ended up being a perfect storm of things that lend well to doing a life decking game. Well, here's here's the here's the truth that we have to make sure we mention. The thing about DBZ and the reason why we liked that Panini's version so much was because it had it had a luxury that not every game gets, where it got to sit down and look at a previous incarnation of itself. And then a gap and the fan created stuff during the gap and the, and it saw, it saw what worked in the old game and it saw what's worked in modern games. And it, it got to basically reinvent itself to be a version. Cause like the Scorzy one was like all over the place for a long time. It took a long time to really get like the development to do it like a, okay, a, they have a, they have a paradigm. A system some of the cards. <laughs> I was like, this was whack. Like some of the set one cards, like even something as dumb as, 
how they worded effects were just yeah. like, <laughs> what the hell were they thinking? It was it was a flavor game entirely, hundred yeah. percent. I played it just for flavor. I was like, I want to I want to be Goku. Of course, I got Krillin in my starter deck, but you know, <laughs> like whatever. If it turns out in Panini, if you got Krillin, you were blessed. But yeah, that's you a, were that's a, off at every corner. Yeah, that's a, that's another story. So, um, yeah, and I do want to say that like Kodak made a point that um, those shield break cards are exceptionally fun. And I, I agree 100% with that. Totally agree. He, he had a, he shared a very, uh, sentimental story about, um, his, uh, I can't remember the, uh, something, something in awe or whatever. I always forget the name of the light yeah, card. And he got the, he got the card graded and like, it's locked, yeah, he got it signed uh, and everything. I like, him. I think that's awesome. I'm hundred percent. I love that. I love that for him. I love that for everybody who does that kind of thing. I think that's so cool. Um, and I like the mechanic. I like mechanics where, where it's like, you are going to, I'm going to win the game unless you flip that one. Spe- even when I'm on the, the, the side of being punished, I'm going to win unless you flip that one specific card and then they flip it. You have to be, to be yesterday playing UFS. Also, <laughs> we calculated out and it was the last turn. It was in time. And we had five minutes to play our third round. And we're like, well, we'll just play it out. Who knows? We'll speed play. One of us will probably do something. We get to it. I'm at full health. I'm playing Eraserhead 19 health. You know, I'm, I'm a frail boy. He does exactly 19. And on the last attack, I was like, I, I can defend against this. Like, unless I flip my one check and there's only one left in a deck where I had like 40 cards still in the deck. So the chances were not with him. Yeah. And then I tried to block, flip the top card, and it was the last one check of the deck. And I'm like, <laughs> no. Yep. Yep. Those moments are always so hype and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that's a great thing to put in card games. And I think that's a great, like, like absolutely no shame on like dual masters or Kaijudo. I mean, other than Jordan's trying to blast the designers of dual masters and Kaijudo for being baby faces. (laughs) Mike Elliott is, is rolling in his way. Actually he's alive. He's just rolling right now. He's He's rolling in his bed. He's rolling in his bed, listening to the main deck podcast. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Uh, I don't, I, I don't think he's listening to us. But if he is, maybe you know, maybe he, maybe he could comment and let us know. Maybe um, we'll get a strongly worded letter in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Cease and desist. Please never talk about my games again. <laughs> That's unfortunate because we're going to talk about Battle Spirit Sagas in the future. So. Um, yeah, uh, but it's a uh, maybe I got that wrong. Was that Mike Elliott? I think it was. Anyway, whatever. Um, the uh, the point is that I don't disagree with that at all. And I think that's a really fun system. Um, and I think Jordan's point is interesting, but it's more about the developmental hurdles that you have to jump through to make life decking work. And and I think part of the reason why you'll see some, you'll be able to find examples of games like Bakugan where it goes astray because it's just, it's a thing that you can screw up and someone will screw it up if so. Whereas like the games where you take these damages, your shield damage and stuff are just harder to absolutely screw the pooch on. It's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing for the designers at all to go that way. Because again, it's like, I like unique mechanics. I like interesting stuff like that. And I'm happy to see that kind of thing. But, but we do not need to crucify life decking. I think that's my main point is it like, it, we don't need to crucify life decking just because of the sins of the Bakugan. Um, and, and I think people listening to this, I would love to hear your comments. Let us know what you guys think of you have, cause I know there are people who have bad experiences playing DBZ and stuff too. Like we did, there are people who, who get 
uh, very upset about some of the things they experienced and, and everything. And that's awesome. Like, that's awesome. No, that's not awesome, but that's like totally. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> yes. <laughs> Get dunked. Um, but you, uh, if, if you had bad experiences, that's very viable too. That's very, um, that's totally fine. That's justified, you know, and we want to hear about what you guys think about life decking in the comments down below. If you enjoyed our conversation today, looking at one of Kodak's very excellent and popular videos, um, despite disagreeing with parts of it, uh, I still think it's a video that's worth a watch because you should listen to viewpoints from all different angles and, and hear what everyone has to say. Um, and, and if you want to see us go over more of these deadly sins in the podcast, that would be, I think that's an interesting topic to continue to cover. Um, so I would love to hear from you in the comments below. Let us know that as well. Um, otherwise, Jordan, I think we're all wrapped up here. What do you think? Uh, yeah, sounds good to me. We're, uh, we're all wrapped up in our foil booster pack with a little rip tab at the top, ready to be let loose on the next episode of the main deck podcast. But before then, that was, that was so good. I need to remember that one. Um, before that we are going to have, uh, so, okay. I, I have to shout this one out to everybody. Um, so for our patrons, this is going to be a patron exclusive. And unfortunately this is going to be behind the paywall on the Patreon um, which is a $2 paywall. If you do want to check out all our exclusive content that gets posted there as well. I'm really excited for this one though, because next should be next week. We're going to be posting a bonus episode of the main deck podcast, which, which will be myself and Kevin responding to this podcast, which is in a way responding to Kodak's video. Um, response to the response meta. Yeah, except I'm doing both of them <laughs> so, with Kevin this time, though. Um, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about, but I think Kevin will have his own thoughts on things. Usually he's got a different angle, which is why I like to bring him in to talk about things. And he may have some different experience playing other card games because he likes to play all sorts of wacky card games that I haven't played. So um, I can't wait to talk about uh, talk about things with him on that Patreon exclusive episode next week. And then next month we will have another episode of some kind of topic. Maybe you'll help us decide it. Maybe I'll do one that Mike's been telling me to do for a long time. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> but that's going to do it for today's episode of the Main Deck Podcast. Thank you guys so much for watching today. I really appreciate you listening in and I hope you enjoyed and I hope that we get to see you guys again very soon on the next episode of the Main Deck Podcast. See you, everyone. Bye.